Hello, I'm David. Hey, this is Shiloh. And this is... History by the Century. Thanks, Dave, for the intro. Yep, man, and uh, this is our very first episode of our very first podcast. Wow, and man. So I just wanted to ask you, what is History by the Century, Shiloh? Well, you know, what we're planning on doing here is um, going through each century in history. We're going to start with the first century CE. Maybe we'll just be real clear. We're going to talk about the Common Era. When we say the first century CE, we mean the first century Common Era. Right, not AD, because that's Anno Domini, Latin, in the year of our Lord. And uh, since Jesus wasn't born in the year zero, we're going to go with CE, because that is the correct thing that people do now. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's it. You got it. So um, so that's what we're going to do. Is we're going to go over some events of each century to help us uh, think about, put the world in perspective. We're going to look at things that might have happened, you know, like, for example, today, things that happened thousands of years ago and their effect even on us today and you know what we put it in perspective with other events and see how um how that really a lot of people hear names throughout history they hear of events in history but they don't realize when did that happen and how was that related to you know other things i've heard you know when when you say the roman empire and, and you mention something like uh trajan or you mentioned something like the silk road things that we're going to talk about how is that related how are those even uh you know what's their relation so that's what we're talking about yeah and is this like a comprehensive this is the history of the world from the beginning to the end or is this just two guys you know talking about stuff that they like from one century you know what you got it dave that's what it is and uh i would also say that it's there to pique the interest by no means is it comprehensive obviously you know every time you hear some podcast episode, they're going to say, well, this is not comprehensive in any means. Yes. Well, no, of course it's not. And we're going to make some mistakes. But what we're hoping to do is mention things and put it in perspective and have you uh, take an interest to go back and research and learn more about it. If you hear something, or if you say, wow, I never realized that um, Germans and the Roman Empire ended up fighting with each other. And what is that, you know, what's that all about? Gotcha. So, hey, man, so who should go first? Are you going to go first or am I going to go first? Well, looking at what we talked about uh, chronologically, you know, we talked a little bit about going over some events in their order. I'll, I'll take the first thing. I think you're going to talk about something and then I'll hit on. Oh, I think, you know what? You got two in the middle and I'll finish up the thing at the end. Okay. With one Sounds good. All right. So we're <laughs> looking at the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest. So the point of this that I want to bring up is it happened early in the first century. We're talking about right around the year 9 AD. So people are thinking about, okay, what's going on? You mean this uh, AD or CE? You know what? I, um, <laughs> I'm pretty much, I hope that that all, I hope that that all can be done. So let me start that over again. Looking at the Battle of the Teutoburg Forest, okay? We're talking about the year 9 CE. So let's put that in perspective, Dave. What's going on in the world that early on who's who's the emperor of the roman empire uh well i believe it was augustus caesar correct you got it and so who came before augustus well he was the first now julius caesar was before him but some people say he wasn't the first some people say that caesar augustus was the first and julius caesar was just a dictator for life but i think it's just kind of a matter of opinion so i think with caesar augustus you could say he's number one or number two 
What do you think? You know, I, li- I like what you're saying. Uh, Caesar Augustus being number one, the main figure of Rome before that, Julius Caesar, you know, arguably, you know, the, like you said, dictator for life. So people are hearing this going, okay, you got Julius Caesar, and he's obviously before the first century. Then you have Augustus come to power. Now, who is Augustus fighting with for power? Uh, I believe it was was it was Mark Antony, correct? You got it. And what's another famous figure that people hear this name all the time? Uh, uh, Cle- Cleopatra. You got it. So we're looking at Julius Caesar. Now he's dead and gone. You got Mark Antony, Cleopatra fighting with Augustus. Wow, all this is going now. Augustus comes off the winner. He's in charge. He's the head honcho. We get to the year nine CE, and all of a sudden this guy's riding on top of the world, and he suffers. Some of his legions suffer a huge, major defeat, catastrophic loss to some Germanic tribes near the border of Germany, or what we would call today, near the border of today, modern-day Germany. So what do you think, Dave? What do you think the impact of losing to a bunch of German tribes is for the Roman Empire? Well, see, that's what I was trying to remember because I know that like Caesar, he was pretty successful as far as Caesars go. So I'm not sure, but uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me? Well, a lot of people today think that this loss to to um, the Germanic people of this area just really stunted the growth of the Roman Empire. Now, it's kind of hard to say with a certainty, you know, was it just too far for Rome to keep expanding? But the point of it is, in that year, in 9 CE, we were looking at a leader of these, these German tribes. He, he kind of brings them all together. He's a man we're going to call in Latin Arminius. He's been trained. He's learned from Romans uh, how they operate their battle tactics. He learns from the Romans, and then he decides he's going to put together his own little group of German tribes, and he's going to backstab the Romans. So you got an idea of how many people this guy, Arminius, uh, he ends up with his group of uh, German tribes. How many Romans he ends up killing in this battle? Uh, I want to say it was, was it two legions? You know, it might have been about two to three. They're, they're figuring on 15 to 20,000 people. Really? Wow. So it's a pretty big group of people that he, he ambushes and takes out in this yeah, battle. Yeah, so when you, you think of like a large like baseball stadium, football stadium, it would be like if it was half full. Right. So you got here, going back to it again, you got this, this emperor, Augustus, riding high. He suffers this major defeat, 20,000, let's say, let's go with the big number because it's exciting. 20,000 of his men are, are uh, wiped out up near the border of Germany, modern day Germany. Remember, what does he say, Dave? Uh, I think it was, give me back my allegiance. Yep, you got it. So he's upset about this. It puts a, it put this, it puts a, um, a damper on Roman expansion. It kind of creates this scary frontier up in Germany and Rome just doesn't want to go up there. Obviously that doesn't end it. Rome goes up there and Rome uh, retaliates. They go into what we would call modern day Germany and attack all kinds of different tribes up there. But in reality, they never go much further. So what's the takeaway from this? What we're looking at this battle here, again, this battle in the forest, uh, the Teutoburg forest, what it does is it inspires these Germanic people for centuries to have their own identity. We look at how the people of modern day Spain, um, United Kingdom, France, they all have a major Roman influence, a Latin influence. 
but not so much the people of of Germany. That area, you know, that we would call modern day Germany, Austria, places like that. They don't have that Roman influence like we see on the other side. So a lot of yeah, people, even their language. Right, yeah, I mean, so even their language is not Latin based like English is or Spanish is or French is. And that's what's funny. You know, you're saying English. A lot of people say English closest English's closest relative is German. And that would come from that would come from, you know, Angles, uh, the Saxons, the Jutes that all inhabited, you know. Have the, you uh, have you told those people that they're wrong? Yeah, you know what? I tried, and then uh, I usually get schooled and told all the things that I need to go back to school and learn. You know, you hear the word England. It's from the Ingle or the Angle. Uh, that's the, oh. the this group of, of Germanic people that settled there. So the point is, is that it really creates a, a Germanic identity of these people. Now, it's not like Germany like we see it today, but it's it creates a a distinct different group of people from the rest of the world, the Romanized or the Latinized people. And that carries on, they say, all the way down to our day. You know, we're looking at things like, you know, some people have said a history of Europe is really the unfolding story of the history of Germany because it's mm -hmm. such a dominant force that, you know, you can see how it's really had a major influ influence on so many things. So to understand that if this battle is so is, is everything it's, it's um, thought to be, which is a little bit contested, you know? Like I said, there's various reasons why they think that this uh, battle, you know, it's important, but we can't say, oh, this was it. This was the end. It marked the, the, you know, the end point of expansion for Rome into these areas, what we call modern day Germany. But it definitely paid a, played a major role. And if we're talking about the first century, 9 CE, right off the bat, you know, something to put in, in perspective also, not only is Augustus Caesar, you know, um, Caesar of this massive world empire, at the same time, thinking about it, while this is going on, the famed story of Jesus Christ, he's born, he's young, he's growing up. So this is all going on in the first century, really exciting stuff going on. That's where we're just going to talk about this battle in this forest here just a little bit. But, yeah, and I was curious. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no tell me. No, but I was wondering, like, how did the Germans win? Because this was the height of Roman you know, imperial. I mean, they had just become an empire. Yeah. Uh, they've got the best armies in the world. How did the Germans beat them? So that's, that's an excellent question. This, this, uh, this soldier, Arminius, he's learned how Rome operates. He's, he's studied with them. He's spent a lot of time. He's basically a guide for them. Well, he doesn't like the Romans. It's, it's hard to say how long he had this plan for, but eventually he brings together a group of Germanic tribes. And mostly uh, it's focusing on one, because if you look at the, the history of these different Germanic peoples, there's a lot of different tribes of, of uh, people with this Germanic influence, but he is able to bring together different parts of this and they unite and they ambush the Romans in this forest. So, you know, if you look it up, if you do a little more research on this, you see this forest is a densely uh, populated or densely um, dense forest that they're able to ambush the Romans, catch them by surprise. Basically, Arminius leads them right into a trap. So it's not a battle that's out on an open field where the Roman legions are at their finest. They're caught off guard in a forest. That's why, you know, you're always going to hear the Battle of the Tudorberg Forest, because it was such a 
surprise and a massacre for the Romans. Gotcha. So they, it was kind of all my, I mean, it was guerrilla tactics. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Interesting. All right. Well, Davey, Davey, my boy. Now oh, that's, a, that's enough about two? what's up. Is it, is it, on, is it time for part two? Oh, dude, you know what? They've heard me talk enough about, uh, oh, man. Germany so, and Rome battling. So tell us, Dave, what are you going to okay. talk about? Here? What well, else is going you know, on? Well, I, for starters, before we get into that, I was going to start with a little segment. I, I came up with a little segment. I want you to know what you think about this. I want to do it every one, but it's the, the trivia question of the day. It's multiple choice. I'm going to give it to you, give you a second to think about it, and then that way, you know, if you're listening, you can try to get the right answer, and then we'll see if you can get the right answer. How, how do you feel about this, Shiloh? Oh, you know what? I, I am ready. So you know, we talk about Caesar, Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, and a lot of names come from Caesar. You know, you have like Kaiser in Germany, yeah. the Tsar right. in Russia. You've got Little Caesar, Caesar salad. Um, yeah. yeah, also even more important. So, but the question is, if you went back in a time machine yeah. and you were to talk to Caesar, how would you say his name? And I'm going to give you four choices. This is multiple choice. You have Caesar. Yeah. You've got Kaiser. Yeah. You've got Kaiser. Yeah. And you've got Tsar. So is it A, Caesar, uh -huh. B, Kaiser, uh -huh. C, Kaiser, or D, Tsar? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go with my gut on this one. I know, and I'm going to tell you why. I believe that the English language changed the way that they pronounce the C's. You are and correct. So I'm going to go with number three. Or two and three are really close. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to go with three. You know what, Shiloh, the answer, remember this. In multiple choice, the answer is always C. And you are correct. Oh, it is what? Kaiser. Okay. Yeah, in Latin, it was always a hard C. Yeah, so like right. Kaiser, even like Cicero was actually yeah. Kikaro. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. But so, uh, you don't know, I, I really want to Yeah. No, don't we have, um, don't we have really great guys, um, podcast guys that everyone else listens to and, and they love like uh, Dan Carlin, isn't he? He always says things like, um, tell me, it's, it's Mac Macedonian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? So it, it, yeah. that's what throws you off. You hear Macedonian and you're like, wait a minute, what is he talking about? Well, I, just, I was listening to one the other day that was saying that the, the Germani tribe was actually the Germani tribe. The, the, mm -hmm. So it wasn't the Germans, they were the Germans. But I mean, well, not the Germans, but the Germani. But hey, you know, it's all uh, apples and oranges. And hey, speaking of apple, that's a nice segue. Uh, I want to take a minute to talk to you about something from the first century that I call the iPhone of the first century. So uh, let's, for starters, yes, uh, Shiloh, do you have an iPhone? You know what I do, yes. Okay, so let's let's think about your iPhone. I personally have a perfectly uh, acceptable Android that costs half the price. But if you have an iPhone, how does that iPhone get from China into your pocket today? You know, um, and, how does, and, uh, and you know what? I, I just assumed it always just kind of, uh, I, I assumed it just kind of appeared. Yeah, well, you'd be correct. And so Shiloh, if you don't mind me asking, like about how much, like not necessarily your iPhone, but in general, how much does an iPhone cost? Like how much might somebody drop on it? Oh, you could easily drop a thousand bucks on it. If yeah, you're getting, a, so, if you're getting a real nice one. Yeah, if you think about iPhones, and you know, it might cost a thousand bucks. How you got to ask yourself how much of that cost is shipping? Okay, it's coming from the other side of the world, and like a lot of times we've all done it. We've bought something on eBay that's like a dollar, but like with nineteen bucks shipping. 
But like with iPhones today, I just listened to a really fascinating podcast about shipping containers. And they were saying shipping containers make it incredibly ship or not ship, cheap <laughs> to ship stuff around the world because you get like 10,000 iPhones, you put them in a shipping container, and you plop it on a ship, and it goes around the world. And then whatever the price of the shipping container, you divide it by 10,000. And so it's very little that you pay for shipping something all the way from China. And it's so little today because of shipping containers that they, economists don't actually consider that in their calculations, shipping costs. So my question, Shiloh, is how much more would an iPhone cost if instead of it being shipped the way that it does, somebody had to carry it by hand from China to you? Somebody had to just shove as many as they could in a backpack and then travel to the United States, New York, and sell you your iPhone. How much would the price go up? Oh, man. I, don't even, I can't even imagine. It would be... If if a thousand dollars is expensive to me, we're probably talking, you know, ten times that. Yeah, e easily, right? Right. And so I got a little bit sidetracked, but the iPhone of the first century, I think of silk. Silk was something that if you lived in the Western world, you didn't know where it came from. You knew it kind of came from the east, but it came from China, and it had to be carried uh, on foot with pack animals all the way from China. To the west, the places like Rome, and so you know, you talked about uh, Caesar Augustus in the first century, uh, early in the first century. Well, over in China, you have the Han Dynasty, and they were producing silk, and they were sending it west to places like Rome. So let's just back up a little bit. I want to talk to you about how silk is made because it's fascinating. So in Rome, they had no idea how silk was made. They didn't even know anything about China. They didn't call it China. They called it the Silk Kingdom. And which is funny because China didn't even call themselves China. They called themselves the Central Kingdom just because, you know, in their view, they were in the middle of the world and everything else was just kind of around them. You know, they were kind of like the uh, Texas of the ancient world, you know, like everything is around us and we're just, you know, in you the know, middle of things. I, I knew you're going to have to make a Texas comment in there, Dave. Yeah, it'd be kind of like if China like referred to Rome as like Oklahoma. Oh, or, wow. Uh, wow. Like you know what? I Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people are gonna yeah, <laughs> are gonna have a lot to say about that. That Rome is Oklahoma. Yeah, we will literally offend both of our listeners. But so, anyways, you know they would ship stuff from China, silk, over to Rome, and they didn't know how it was made. They like I believe uh, one historian said it maybe comes from trees. They didn't know, but in China it was a super big secret. The penalty for teaching an outsider how to make silk wasn't death it was death by torture huh. they took it seriously and so the way they make it is you get a silkworm which is a caterpillar and it eats mulberry leaves and then it weaves this tiny thread of silk around itself into a chrysalis and if you let it hatch it ruins it but if you steam it or boil it and then you pull that little thread apart it'll go for a kilometer in okay, one I just hold, thread. hold on i have so many questions now you're telling yes. me, you're telling me they got to boil these little caterpillars and pull it through. First of all, and it goes for a kilometer, did you say? Yeah, but it's super, super thin. So in other words, to get a pound of silk, you have to take 2,500 silkworms to make a pound of silk. And it's exactly the same way today. It's not like 
scientific achievements make it any different. Still, 2,500 silkworms make a pound today. They made it 2,000 years ago exactly the same way. So how do they start the thread? Do they get like little tiny tweezers and pull it? And just like, how does that work? You know, I looked it up on this very reputable site, YouTube, and it was really cool. Um, they use like, it looks like this fork thing, and they would just like reach into this big vat, and they'd pull it out, and they just pulled like this long thread of a bunch of threads of silk, and then they add it to this machine, and it weaves it. It was really cool. What happens so, to the caterpillars? You know, Shiloh, they, uh, they, they don't make it. And so, they don't no, make nobody it. has a problem with this? No one's gone in there and said, no. hey, knock this, knock this caterpillar killing thing off. Yeah, you know, you'd think there'd be people throwing paint on people wearing silk, you know? Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, people wearing fur. This is, a, this is a, something that the industry has hidden from us. Yeah. So in other words, like if you pull a silk tie out of your out of your uh, your closet, it weighs about a third of a pound. So, you know, that's like what, like 800 uh, uh, dead silkworms right there. They, they died for your tie, Shiloh. Uh, but we're going to get back a little bit later into like what you can do with a pound of silk. Uh, but so anyways, you, you got to wonder like, how did you, yeah, you, you can make three ties, but uh, <laughs> so I don't even know what that means. But so anyways, you know, you, they would load stuff on pack animals and just take it West. And you got to think like, what were they taking with them? And it was anything that was super valuable to sell, because if you're going to, take stuff by foot it has to be valuable so really the silk road when they first started trading over it they mostly traded jade and then later oh, they used right. silk it had been going for about 100 years now and then uh rhubarb was actually another one because in rome they didn't grow rhubarb and rhubarb apparently was the only laxative you could buy back then and so it's kind of interesting like if you were to go again time machine if you were to go back into a time in a time machine and talk to the people back then they'd be like hey is this a silk road they wouldn't have known what you were talking about. The term Silk Road wasn't invented until the late 19th century by a German guy, back to the Germans. And so until then, they just had you know a lot of different names, but that was when they coined the term. So, I mean, it could have been called the Jade Road or the, the Rhubarb Road, but you know it was mostly silk and other stuff, but it got the name the Silk Road. Wow, man. So, anyway. So it could have been called anything. It could have been called the, the Rhubarb canal for all we did you know <laughs> yeah the laxative road i mean who knows the laxative but, trail, anyways, yeah, yeah <laughs> the trail of uh never mind so um <laughs> okay so we're gonna you know we're gonna keep this rated g uh so they would trade stuff uh to the west and so you might be thinking like in rome like this caravan of of, of chinese men on their their pack animals walking into the city with silk but it didn't work that way in the first century. In the first century, they would trade it a little bit west to a place like Uzbekistan, and then they would trade it a little bit further west, and they would trade it a little bit further west until it made it to a place like, you know, Italy or Rome. Um, but it wasn't until the time of uh, everybody's favorite emperor, Marcus Aurelius, that you actually had Chinese guys showing up in Rome that were making the full round trip, which would usually take them a full year or more. Of course, um, every, everybody's so, favorite emperor. Yeah, of course. Yeah, everybody really likes him. They like that guy. Um, but I mean, he was what? What century was that? Is that second century Marcus Aurelius? I believe. Yeah, so. he was. He was the end of the. He was coming up. He was the end of the five good emperors. He was. They oh, were like. Right. They were like, you know what, man? Why do you have to break the street? Going with your own son, yo. Yeah, nobody likes Commodus. 
Oh, anyways, I mean, going going back. Going oh back. yeah, sorry, we're we're getting we're getting sidetracked. But so so anyways, you got to ask yourself. Oh, just let me back up. One like really cool thing about the Silk Road is you know there was mountains on one side of you and you're going through the desert so where do you get water because like you can carry food with you but you can't carry enough water to survive so people dug these really cool wells that went down and then to the side that went to the mountains that collected snow melts so like if they still have a lot of these wells today if you go down to the bottom of, the, of them they have these tunnels that just go horizontal under the ground until they reach the snow melt water so you could be going through the desert it's super hot you find one of these wells you pull up water it's ice cold which, I mean, it had to be amazing. So, yeah, uh, you know, we talked before about shipping costs. How much did stuff cost when you took it from China all the way to a place like Rome? And so it's really interesting. Like in the first century, you don't really know. But one really cool thing uh, towards the end of the third century, I think, was it the third century? You have Di Diocletian. And uh, Diocletian made a price list of everything uh, because there was rapid inflation and so he's like well hey we're just going to set prices this is how much stuff costs so we can barter and so he made a price list of how much everything costs and i don't know if, if we can call dibs on future centuries uh, shiloh but I, when we get uh, to diocletian i want to call dibs on his price list not diocletian diocletian's price list is that cool with you Oh yeah, definitely. You know, because because okay. I I you know I you're kind of stealing it. I did really plan on doing that one myself, but I'm gonna give it really? up. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Well, you know what? Maybe we can do it fifty fifty. Okay. As long as I can just talk about beer. Beer? Uh. Oh man. Okay. Well, I can't wait. So, anyways, uh, Diocletian's priceless tied for first place were two things. The two most expensive things that you could buy. Can I guess? And yeah, go for it. You, take a guess. I'm obviously going to say silk is on the top list there. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Silk okay. is, is one of them. I'm going with silk and, um, and gold. Okay. That's a good guess. Okay. So silk is right. One pound of silk and a live lion were the same price. So in other words, so wait a minute, you, hold a you said a pound of silk was worth a live lion. Right. So, I mean, and think about how hard it would be to transport a live lion back then and, like, not kill the lion and have it not kill you. Why? And I feel like this is some really uh, bad uh, pricing system. They had a really bad pricing system, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I'll well, trade... You know, how does that, how does that equate in the long run? You know, like, well, you know, you'd think that there would be somebody that would be like, man, I wish there was a perfectly good substitute for silk that cost half the amount. And yeah, then but they you could start call breaking, it anyway. You start breaking <laughs> stuff down and there's someone like, I got a live lion. And so I'll give you like, what? Like, uh, yeah, it was lower than that live lion. And then what you could trade them for like, uh, 20 really good uh, wine jars or something? How does this scale yeah, work? I mean, you you're going to have to explain well, this. This is no good. Well, you know, you I know, think we're going to have to... We're going to have to uh, you know, get a little bit more to that when we get to that century. But so just into how much it costs. Um, so you know, when you're taking ancient figures and translating the modern figures, you can't do it. Like, and people always say it's impossible to do. And then they Hey, Davey, Dave. So yeah, did I lose you? Yeah. Tell me again. So you just said that it's impossible to equate numbers. Right. So people are always like, you can't really translate money from back then to today. And then, of course, they always do because it's just so much fun. 
But so a, ha a pound of silk was worth about half a million dollars in today's money. So in no other words, like way. I weighed. No. Yeah. So like three ties, three uh, neckties yeah. is worth half a million dollars. So in other words, like in, in Austin, where, you know, where I live, uh -huh. you know, the median housing house, uh, uh, the median home price is about 300 grand. It'd be like one and a half ties. You know, just go to your closet, get a couple of ties, you trade it for a house. Aren't you? I mean, it's, you're looking for a house right now. Have you tried to tell your realtor that? You know, uh, I haven't, but it wouldn't, you know, maybe I'll give it a try. We'll see. Maybe if she's a fan of Roman history, she'll think it's funny. You know, what, what um, if you just went to someone like a for sale by owner and said, hey, listen, I'll give you two and a half ties for your place. Would, right? uh, you know, would you do that if I did that? Um, I guess it depends yeah. on the tie, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, li I'm living over here in the Tuberg Forest, so yeah, go ahead. Uh, I got, I'm out in the <laughs> I'm in upstate so New York. Any, There's nothing around me. Yeah. So in any ways, like if you were in Rome, like really the only people back then that were so you had to be uber wealthy, like you know senators, you know Caesars. So you know, it, calling uh, silk the uh, the iPhone of the first century, you know, it came from China. Uh, you know, and uh, people that could afford it usually thought they were a little bit better than everybody else. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I cannot believe that you just just made the iPhone and silk from the first century on the same level. All right. And so uh, this, is my, uh, this is my back to you moment. Back, back, back to you. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on. You're going to trade no, something I, for me? If my iPhone is the same as silk, can you get me a live line for my iPhone right now? <laughs> Oh, Shiloh. Okay, so uh, that's that's all I got for silk. So what what's uh, topic number two for uh, Shiloh Parton over there in uh, well, New York? Well, um, you know, I think basically what your topic that you were talking about there kind of covers a, a real broad um, scope of time. There, we're talking, you know, like you mentioned, it came even before the first century. It came well afterwards, but it yeah. but it's really a nice thing to think about in perspective. And and honestly, like, I, we probably could have done the Silk Road for a lot of different centuries. Yeah. I just wanted to talk about it right now. Right. No. And that's good because I feel like um, <laughs> when people are starting to talk about, um, you know, the first century, obviously, they're going to be focusing on Rome. Obviously, they're going to be talking about events around Christianity being formed. You know, and, and those are, this is all going on at the same time for sure. But like you mentioned, what's going on in China? You know, thinking about yeah. things like what they called themselves, you know. Uh, their kingdom that they what how they refer to themselves how they thought of themselves and also their influence on other places you know i think that's something that gets forgot about a lot but i do know that one thing you were going to talk about was um actually speaking of uh christianity and what's going on over in the uh area of israel and that general vicinity weren't you going to talk about the siege of jerusalem and uh give, give us some details I was, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of history that we could talk about in, uh, in the, you know, uh, the first century, but, if, you know, you always come back to the Romans, right? Yeah. you know, because, like, the Romans were just so fascinating. Like, I feel like Rome is to, like, world history, kind of what Nazis and UFOs are to the History Channel. Like, there, there's yeah, always going to yeah. be other stuff that they can talk about. But if you turn on the History Channel, it's usually UFOs or Nazis. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, and with, with world history, it, it seems like a lot of it is talking. I mean, people just like talking about Rome. What happened? 
Okay, so okay. so you were just saying so yeah, I, I you know it cut out, but you made a good point that it's it's UFOs and it's UFOs and Nazis. Yeah, History Channel. So, um, do you want me to talk about the siege of Rome, or are we going to do one of yours now? No, 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 go go for it. Okay, yeah, well, I feel bad. I'm taking everything. So, yeah, the siege of Rome. Um, I mean, not the siege of Rome, the siege of Jerusalem. So, I remember as a kid learning about the siege of Jerusalem. You know that uh, Roman armies would surround Jerusalem with pointed stakes. And then, you know, of course, they, they undermined the wall, and then they just left. And so my question was, you know, one, how in the world do you surround a city with pointed stakes quickly? And two, why in the world would they leave? Uh, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So for, for the first one, how did they surround the city of Jerusalem with pointed stakes as quickly as they did. And I really like, there was one podcaster, it was either Mike Duncan or Dan Carlin, who said that the Roman army, it was kind of like they were 50% soldier and 50% construction worker. They just, they could build anything quickly. And so with most armies back then, you know, if you were on campaign, you would set up camp, you'd make your tents, you'd make your fires, you'd set your sentries, and you'd go to sleep. But the Roman army would literally build a fort every single night. So, you know, if the, the guys are marching, they would wake up in the morning. They, you know, had a fort around them. They would pull up a stake. Uh, each guy would strap one to their back, and then they'd start marching. And when they got to where they were going, the first guy that got there would pull the stake off his back. He'd drive into the ground, and the next guy would do the same and the same and the same until they had a fort. And they would... Uh, clear trees and they would make it bigger. And so if you're wondering how they could surround Jerusalem so quickly, it's because they did it every single day. Uh, about 100 years before this, uh, there was an account where Julius Caesar was in Gaul, modern day France, and he was besieging a city. So they show up at the city, they surround it with pointed stakes, and then they realize, hey, there's a relief army coming to attack them. So what do they do? They make another ring of stakes around themselves so in other words you've got the city and then you've got a wall that the romans built that was 10 miles long so it was 10 miles in circumference then you have the roman army and then you have another wall around them that's 12 miles in circumference and then you have a gallic army that's coming to attack them so you have like this donut shape if you were looking at it from above you know you have city wall romans wall Gauls and you know Julius Caesar wins because he's Julius Caesar, uh, but so that's how they could do it so quickly. There, there was even accounts from back then. They'd say that uh, an army would go to sleep, and uh, in the morning they'd wake up and there'd be a Roman army there with a fort around them that wasn't there the morning before. So they were just really good at building stuff. And so the Romans show up. They, they uh, Vespasian is the general. Uh, he puts this wall around the city. They break through one of the walls eventually, and then they just leave, which doesn't make sense. I mean, I mean, can you think of any other account in history when a city is being besieged and they break through the wall and then they just leave? Like, could you imagine like Alexander the Great, you know, a few hundred years before this, building the causeway out to Tyre, breaking down the wall, and then like, you know, basically pulling a George Costanza, just like throwing up his arms, and be like, all right, that's it. I'm out of here. Like it just, it wouldn't happen. It it didn't happen. So why did Vespasian leave? Well, yeah. to understand, yeah, I see you shaking your head. Yeah, the I had to get the Seinfeld reference in there. No, wow, that's that's some good stuff. Wow, you got me hooked, man. But yeah, so what, the reason why 
well, possibly, is back in Rome. Meanwhile, back in Rome, you have Emperor Nero, and Nero was the one that had appointed Vespasian to be the general to go and put down the Jewish revolt. So this was, uh, I believe, 66 CE. And so Nero it dies. And so that's the, the short one sentence uh, answer is Nero died. So that's why he left. So, but why would he leave? Well, um, I wanted to back up for just a minute and give you a little bit of background of Nero. So Nero was, he was a really, uh, he, people either loved him or hated him. Back then. The lower classes loved him. The people like the senators, uh, the, the upper classes did not like Nero. And he was really an authorita uh, authoritarian, authoritative. He, he wasn't a nice guy. So he persecuted the Jews. He persecuted the Christians. But on the other side, he was also kind of an artsy type. So he kind of considered himself more of an artist than an emperor. Uh, when he died, his final words were not what an emperor the world is losing. It was what an artist the world is losing. Like He thought of himself as more – he wasn't an emperor who was into art. He was an artist who was also the emperor. So like for example, he would show up at chariot races, and he would participate in the races, and he would win because if you're in a chariot race with the emperor, you – Obviously, you're going to let them win. Um, and he would go like when they were having stage plays, and he would perform with them. Like he he would he loved to hang out with actors, and he would show up and he would go on stage and he would perform the play with them, and he would invite people over and he would play music for them. He would play wow. the lyre. There, was, I mean, was he was he good? Was he a good actor? Uh, he well, he won all kinds of awards for it, but I mean. They they did have awards for things like acting back then. If, if the emperor is doing anything, you let them win because people don't like being killed, and yeah. so uh, you know that's that's kind of the thing. Um, but like I mean, he was kind of the guy who would show up at a party with his guitar and expect everybody to listen to him. Oh wow! And yeah, I know what you're thinking. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. 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 I know. I know a guy like that. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, I think I was that guy. And you know what? I kind of still am. But so anyways, uh, there was even one account where Vespasian, the, the general in question at Jerusalem, uh, was at Caesar's place. Caesar was performing on the lyre, and uh, he fell asleep. Vespasian fell asleep, and he got in trouble for that. So anyways, back then, just to understand, like, could you imagine, like, if, like, the not necessarily the current president, but any president of the United States or world leader just for, like show up at a NASCAR race and just like hop in a car and like start racing or like show up on like Broadway. They're performing Hamilton. He's like, hey, guys, I'm going to play Hamilton. Uh, is that cool with you? And like, you know, the guy who plays Hamilton is like, oh, yeah, yeah, step on stage, you know, and like he would go up there and like everybody would applaud or like, you know, he would just like have people over to the White House and start playing guitar. So like, I mean, the, the lower classes loved him. They thought he was like the cool emperor. But at the same time, he's killing Jews. He's killing Christians. And the upper classes didn't like him because, like, the way we view actors today is very different than the way they viewed them back then. Like, today, actors are kind of people's role models. Like, if Taylor Swift, I mean, musician, like, if Taylor Swift or, like, you know, Brad Pitt says something, people are like, oh, man, that, like, we have to listen to them. They're an actor. They're a musician. But back then, they were kind of viewed the way we view reality TV stars today. Like, they're famous we know who they are, but do you really want to hang out with them? 
like it's they're kind of they they knew they were famous but they looked down on them so people they just they they did not like nero if they were from the upper classes i really got sidetracked on nero because when i was researching this i was like oh wow that's really really weird so but i mean he was the guy who burned rome okay you know he he burned rome because he needed to have some extra land and then he blamed the christians for it so in other words he was a musician who started a fire and then said that he didn't start the fire wow that um I feel, I feel like i've heard that song before yeah sorry i i you know i asked my wife if i could tell that joke and she said no and uh, <laughs> i didn't yet you're doing it dave why didn't you listen to your wife oh, oh man you know what I, yeah well i was like you know what shiloh's gonna think it's funny but so uh as we know everybody loves billy joel and he is not an evil emperor of rome uh so anyways people don't like nero some do and they decide to kill him and you know when they're trying to assassinate him he says you know you can't fire me i quit he kills himself he dies and as you know when the emperor of rome dies what happens like 90 percent of the time uh almost every time it's basically like a free-for-all who's going to get the power aka civil war that is correct yeah and so in general in history, if the king dies and there's no like direct line of secession that everybody knows about, you have civil war or bloodletting of some sort. So this started a, a, a year called the Year of the Four Emperors, or as my old Latin teacher said, not a good year to be the emperor. So we're going to just make it real short. Nero dies, another guy becomes emperor, civil war, another guy becomes emperor, civil war, another guy becomes emperor. And so they're just duking it out in Italy, and Vespasian's over in Rome, and he's like, hey, you know what? Like, maybe I could do that. And so that's why he left. He left, he goes back, and actually another one of his generals was the first one to get into Italy. And at this point, like, everybody in Italy is punch drunk. Like, if you can imagine, like, a bar fight. You know, where there's just like three guys duking it out. They've just been wailing on each other. And then Vespasian walks in the door and is just like, oh, hey. And it just like punches them and wins. But like, that's basically what happened. So Vespasian shows up. Yeah. You're telling me, just to get this straight again, going back to summarize what we're talking yes. about here. Um, we're looking at, you know, a few emperors come along, like Augustus, you know, we won't go through the whole list, but you know, you got some Tiberius and some, some, that strange transmitted disease, Caligula. Caligula. Yeah, Caligula. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we come to the end of this, this, Not a bad this case of Caligula. <laughs> yeah. This, we come to the end of this, uh, this family line here. We got Nero. While Nero is El Presidente, a jefe in command, the, the emperor here, Vespasian, he's just a general off in Jerusalem, about to take the city. Right, and, and he so, breaks through the wall, and then he finds out that Nero died. And so he rushes back. Yeah, and so Vespasian rushes back, and everybody says, you know, Imperator, you're the new emperor of Rome. And so that's why he went back. He wanted to be emperor. He became emperor. He kind of consolidated his power, and he sent back his son, Titus to jerusalem and then titus finished the job and where was i going with this yeah so that's what happened and there's a lot more you could talk about that uh josephus the historian josephus he was there for all of this 
he's the one that gives us a lot of the the information about this time period. And just one kind of interesting thing to so Vespasian, he was the first uh, emperor that was not part of the uh, the Julian dynasty, like you know the ones that came from like Julius Caesar. And then his son was the next uh, Titus was the next emperor. But just a, kind of an interesting thought. So it was uh, 70 CE that uh, Jerusalem finally fell to Titus. That was when Vespasian was emperor. But from Augustus, from Caesar Augustus to Vespasian, uh, every single emperor in between did not die from natural causes. So Caesar Augustus died from old age. Um, Vespasian died from old age. Every single one in between you know, was either killed or killed themselves. And so I would like to just take a moment to segue to another little segment of a history by the century that I call "Would You Rather." Is it okay if I if I uh, kind of wrap up this topic and, and ask you a "Would You Rather" uh, segment, or did you did you have something else you wanted to, to mention about the uh, the siege of Jerusalem? Well, you know, the only thing I want to mention with the siege of Jerusalem before we wrap this uh, this nice little episode up here is um, one thing. If people are you know when they're listening, and they're hearing all this, they're they're thinking about the first century, putting all this in perspective. You know, we started off early on with Augustus. We talked about uh, China. We talked about the Germanic people kind of solidifying their identity. I would just say with the siege of Jerusalem, one thing that I liked, and you mentioned already, Josephus comes out of this. You know, you got yeah. the, you get a lot of um, you. You're kind of like the Herodotus of history. You like to do some digressions. You like to kind of throw yourself back into. Let me tell you a little bit about um, you know this actor <laughs> emperor and the president that likes to race in NASCAR. You know, you kind of go into some nice little stories with that. I but, call it a footnote of a footnote of a footnote. Yeah. So, but <laughs> I, you know, when, if people are listening to this and they're thinking about, okay, you know, I, I'm kind of interested in history and, and you want to, you're hearing names and you're kind of thinking like, well, who, who is that? Or how does that relate to whatever? Um, another great historian kind of defined, you know, Thucydides kind of helps define that chronological idea of what history is of telling you know even with this show you know let's go let's go century by century and talk about it. i love how um uh josephus decides he's going to tell a chronological history of the jewish people in general and also he talks about the uh the siege of jerusalem which is where we get all, a lot of information but josephus you know he was a soldier he gets captured by the romans he ends up becoming uh like a an advisor to Vespasian. Vespasian likes him. That's where we get uh, Josephus's his name. He takes on the Flavian dynasty's name. Oh, really? Okay. Right. So you well, got to be Flavius Josephus. Oh, wow. There you go. Right. So he takes on that family name. He's he's right in there with the emperor's family. He's trusted by him, and he decides he's going to write down the history of the Jews. And man, the stuff that you get out of his his antiquities is phenomenal like you read some of the stuff there he kind of explains the whole story of nimrod why nimrod became what he became and why he did what he did and if if you're looking for a very um traditional jewish take on the, the, the stories of the bible if you're looking at like basically a little more in-depth uh feeling and motive behind some of the people that you read about in the bible that are only just barely mentioned well josephus goes into the tradition of from the jewish people's point of view and it's really interesting so that wouldn't have come about had it not been for vespasian for all that coming along like you know if they would have met josephus and been like who's this guy let's get rid of him we, we would have never got a lot of that stuff so again looking back at to me the siege of jerusalem it's a tragedy to lose 
you know, so many amazing things that were in Jerusalem. But at the same time, you realize like, wow, at least, you know, Josephus was there to tell about what happened and to carry on some of those, those stories, you know. Yeah, and Josephus, so, Josephus okay. is very favorable, too, about Vespasian and Titus, the way he speaks about them. According to Josephus, you know, he was wanting to uh, make peace with the Jews in Jerusalem, but the different factions were fighting, and they wouldn't let him. And so eventually he was like, finally, you know, I'm going to go in, and uh, he took care of it. But, I mean, when he's talking about uh, Titus and Vespasian, he was their prisoner, too. So <laughs> he's kind of like, oh, yeah, they're the best. I love them. <laughs> yeah. But um, he was like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to become the emperor, he told uh, Vespasian. He was like, you know what? Yeah, 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 that's right. You're going you're gonna to be in charge. It seemed like they were kind of playing off some messia- messianic prophecies, too, because uh, according to uh, – uh, I can't remember which historian, but they said that Vespasian heard – that there was, you know, a prophecy in the east that uh, the next king would come out of Judea, and somebody was like, "Hey, maybe it's you," and he's like, "Hey, maybe it is me." And then his troops are like, "Imperator," you know, which means emperor. Yeah. And uh, when your troops uh, call you emperor, it means that a lot of people are about to die. You're about to have a civil war. That's a really good um, point. You know, when you get called emperor, heads are going to roll. So yeah, and I- not not everybody would take it. Some some guys be like, "No, no, hey, don't say that." Like, no, we're good. Um, but I'm sorry. What were we going to ask? Were, were we going to do uh, "Would you rather"? Are we gonna yeah, ask tell me. You? Tell me your question. Would you rather? This is my I'm, this I'm is my intrigued. my would you would you rather uh, Shiloh uh, question? Because uh, you know, like from uh, Augustus to Vespasian, all those emperors died uh, not by natural causes. And it seems like a lot of times you'd have these great emperors, quote unquote great, but they would be killed. You know, it was very rare, very rare for an emperor to die of old age, or like even rarer that they would retire and like they'd pass off the reins to somebody else and then they would like go off to their country estate. So would you rather be a great emperor who gets stabbed in the back like Julius Caesar, not that he was great, but, or would you be like, okay, maybe like slightly below average emperor, but you get to retire to your villa and die in your old age. So great, get killed or kind of less than mediocre but die of old age. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm trying to think of, uh, of one that I like that um, got old and got to retire and didn't have to, geez, did anybody just get to go out and retire? There, there was a few, there was a few. Like I thought that, uh, I thought that Diocletian did, but I think he kind of came out of it. I can't remember. If somebody listens to this that actually knows history better than we do, yeah. we're, uh, we're gonna get in trouble. And just like to take a little footnote of, actually I'll let you do. So yeah, so which, which would you choose? Uh, what, oh, would you of course, rather? of course, I'm gonna go with um. You you described a mediocre guy that gets to retire. Slightly less than mediocre. Slightly less than mediocre. Man, wow. He's, you know what? He's, he's not the worst, but he's not the best. Man, I'm I'm going with I'm gonna retire, man. I want to chill out yeah. in my Italian villa, <laughs> drink some wine, and chill. Out. If I, especially if I'm semi, if I'm less than mediocre, then I won't even know the difference. I'm not gonna be self-reflective. Yeah. I won't care. I'll be like, yo, I did a pretty good job, and yeah, I just want to go and chill out. So I'm going with yeah, chill, chill and relax. I think, and retire. Okay, I think I would I would take the the same one. Who who cares if they learn about me in Latin class? You know, and uh, I just thought I'd take a moment. You know, when it comes to a historical accuracy on this podcast, you know, you may be wondering how historically accurate it is if you're listening. And um, of course, since it's on the internet, it's 100 percent accurate, and you should believe every word you say. Yeah, every pretty much I believe at- every word you said, especially about the, the <laughs> 2,500 whatever silkworms that had to die. You that's that's just horrible, Dave. 
Hey, and I, I read that on Google, so it is true. Yeah, um, well, man, yeah, let's, hey, let's, I got a question. Tell me. Oh, no, I, are we going to talk about Trajan? You know what? Um, we're going to save that for a little later because, uh, you know what? This, I think that's all the time we have today, Dave. Uh, really? great that job. is all the time? Oh, yeah. man, I didn't even get to uh, have our word from our sponsor. Do we have time for a word from our sponsor? Yeah, Did I tell you we have a sponsor? Yeah, I didn't hear. Who's, your, who's our sponsor? Dave? Okay, so this episode is brought to you by Roman Emperor Life Insurance. Oh. Are you a Roman emperor? Do you need life insurance? Well, for just a denarius a day, you can get two talents of coverage. Now, there are some exclusions. It does not cover murder, poison, Livia-related deaths, or deaths related to Russell Crowe. Roman emperor life insurance. Wow, yeah, I like it, man. They, I didn't realize we, we uh, were going to get sponsored on our first episode. That's nice, Dave. Yeah, you know, that's... Bad joke, bad joke. I really was, hope I really hope that we get a new one of those every episode because I wanna watch I wanna listen to you try and come up with your best your best uh you know uh, sponsor I, joke every I, every episode. I think you know next you know maybe you, you could do the sponsor for the second century. Now are we ever gonna come back to the first century? Because there's a lot of stuff we could have talked about. Are we gonna do it like, like the next episode or maybe like ten episodes from now? You know what, Dave? We're going to see where this takes us. We're going to have to let a few people listen to this. We're going to have to hear some feedback. And we're going to have to hear some people say, you know what? That was really bad. And then we're yeah. going to know what to fix. Yeah, really bad. Yeah, I mean, literally both of our uh, listeners will, will tell us just how bad it is. So, our wives. Uh, our wives. Yeah. And I don't think either one of our wives is going to make it through the whole episode. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that our wives are going to listen to this? Oh, no, not at all. They're, they're going to be like... <laughs> Oh, I know. My wife will be taking a nap about five minutes in. <laughs> but uh, obviously, you're still there, David. Dave. Well, so uh, I guess uh, I'll, I'll edit this out at the end. So, uh, yeah, I'm Dave, and I thought this is the part where you say I'm Shiloh. <laughs> Now I just sound like I'm really like full of myself. I'm Dave. I'm Dave. I'm Dave. Dave is going to talk in the third person now. <laughs> well, Dave, as always, it's a pleasure talking about history. We did this show because we're best friends and we love to talk about history. So that's all me it is. Too. It's too love talking about history. And really the point of it is to me is being with your buddy, talking about stuff that you're both entertained by. And, uh, you know, kind of it helps to think about really in the, the grand scheme of things, you know, how it all factors into just in our world to today you know you think about man all that crazy stuff you just talked about with with the siege of jerusalem and, and the roman armies and and all those yeah. different things it's, it's fascinating stuff so thanks dave silk road all right i'm gonna take my iphone and see if i can trade it for a live lion right now or a tiger yeah and uh yeah so this is uh history by the century and we are signing off thanks dave